Beginning of Act 2. As Dole Dorn steps through the massive gates of the city, he sees one wall of an area of these massive plateaus, they call them. Almost towers, but not. As far as all you've heard about this city, the Sharn, this jewel of giant kind in the, the south um, seat of the, the, the ordning, great power, whatnot. Uh, one thing that you do remember hearing about it as you were playing, which wasn't really directly re- relevant to your outward assault that you were in charge of, but was relevant if the, the battle, but was relevant if the battle took on much longer and ended up being an internal thing as well. Was that all of these massive plateaus, these multi-tiered tower-like things that had all these towers coming off of them? had the cores of them were themselves not hollow fully but had tunnels that spread throughout areas where small folk would toil for days and so the giants could have warmth so the giants could have water so the giants could have all the little things I think as Dorn heard, I mean, Sharn was like, um, this is a massive catch. Not the first Dedon City that you guys have captured, but this was like the major catch. We're jumping, we're starting our game here, not, the beginning, not the, at the beginning of the war, not at the end, but at a major turning point, capturing Sharn is. Because Sharn was the crown jewel for giant kind. It is a place of, from what you've heard, learning and, and education and devices and whatnot. And everything that you heard, you're like, yeah, how does that work? And it kind of all comes down to the, the labor of your kind in a broader strokes. Mm-hmm. No, humans, whatnot. They've designed this great system. Oh yeah, what well, works that system? Oh well, yep. your guys is manpower. Exactly, exactly. So as you're walking through these streets, seeing the bloodshed, seeing the destruction, seeing the, I should say the bloodshed of both giant kind of all of all varieties and small folk of all varieties as well. You see these sewer, you've heard that word because it's part of the planning process for attacking the, the city, but it doesn't mean anything to you until you see, oh, okay, that's where, that's where water comes from or shit comes comes from. And you see these massive tunnels and you're like, giants must have giant shits, I guess, right? And you see the people stepping from them. The humans, the dwarves, the halflings, and the such. It's squeaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and you see them just covered in filth. You see others coming from gaps between buildings that wouldn't seem important 
doorways are kind of hidden into a structure that that structure could be a home could be a shop who knows what these giants have here and out come people just covered head to toe in soot looking like they haven't seen the sun in a long time as they open up <laughs> the thing that really pisses you off I think Dorm, is that they don't open from the inside People have to go and open them from the outside. And they come out. How long since they've seen the sun? How long have they been toiling within this place? This enlightened city? I think as you are trekking through the long trek up toward, as I said before, there's a part of the wall way up there where a giant corpse is hung by chains around the, the throat, blood streaming from various wounds down. That's the sign. That's the place you're supposed to go. That is Orion's sign of, in this location, that's where we will all meet up. If I am successful, this is where we will convene. Easy enough sign. But as you're walking through, I think your mind, you have no idea how to even get up that high, right? But I think your mind just begins to drift as you're seeing these people come out of these sewers, these other hatchways into this inner workings of this place. And suddenly you're transported back in the deep, deep mines of the Ashfall Mountains. Cracks and crevices far too small for giants to easily traverse, but teeming with precious metals, gems, adamantine, maybe more even. The perfect home for a colony of dwarves. The largest of any single colony, in fact. But those here in the Ilshgar Septimo don't know of any others. Had they known the proper tongue of cloud and storm, they would know that Septimo means seven, and perhaps infer that there were at least six other of whatever Ilshgar meant, but for them it was just name. These dwarves within the Ilshgar Septimo spoke their own tongue, an adapted version of the plaster of giant can, the cloud and storm having their own elevated tongue. Upwards of 10,000 dwarves were in these deep caverns now, in hundreds of clan lines going back millennia. Nobody knew the start. Didn't seem to, to matter much. The population was steady now, and had to be, otherwise food would get scarce. The hunters were always seeking deeper channels for not only hints of fresh ore, but also tracks of blind beasts from below. One lindworm or behir could kill a dozen dwarves before it left with a full stomach. More importantly, this could really slow down an excavation. The overseers did not tolerate any such slowdowns. The quota must be met every month 
as tracked by the spore patterns in the fungal forests that, that were your folks' main source of food because what is a month when there is no, no sun, there is no moon, there is no sky, there is only the mind. Proper protein, besides the fungus, of course, was either hunted or scavenged in the, <coughs> the, the, the depths or delivered to the 13 clans with the highest yield each month by the, the overseers. The easiest way to tell when a month comes is when the, when the overseers come. In between that, you kind of track the spore patterns of those that tend to the fungal forest, which again, easy, massive source of food, the primary source of food. Naturally, competition between the clans was high because winning one of the months was a massive boon, not only to your hunger, but also your, your strength for the, that coming month. Those that win logically begin to win more. And if they deign to, to, do, to do so, can more easily gain favor from other clans if they, if they choose to share the meat, the blood, the sinew, the hide, the hoof, all bounties unseen within the mines. Who were these overseers? Well, I'm sure you have your ideas, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. For now, we're going to start this scene with a trio of dwarves toiling away. The, the youngest, a younger girl with dirty blonde locks, shorn short, and a rusted, dented metal helmet. She carries a lantern with a flame flickering in it and is, the, is looking out for veins of metal reflecting off of the lantern. Flame is not a common thing. It's not a, an easy thing because flame needs fuel, needs, need, need, needs oil and such. So one person to light the lantern and look for signs of glinting ore is all you can generally have for a group, a small group. The next was a boy dwarf, older by, by a handful of years from the younger girl, darker hair and watchful, fearful even, even eyes under his own helmet. His thick fingers wrapped around the metal handles of a wheelbarrow and a stout wide-brimmed shovel was leaning there waiting to serve. The last was the eldest boy by at least a number of cycles, a dozen or so even. He never really cared to keep track, I think. This one wore no helmet, and it looked like there was no need since his skull was more likely to shatter falling rock rather than the opposite. His hands bled all ready six hours into the shift as he swung the massive pick over and over and over and over again. Face still having the youthful glare of a dwarf barely into his 20s, a child by, by, by all accounts here. Uh, even now, has um, evidence of, of a nose that has been bro broken at least once once before. Scars are d 
adorning his skin from old wounds, likely many from stone chips that would shatter back at him every handful of swings. But his muscles were already more impressive than most of his kind in the mines here. Perhaps a combination of natural gift of his strength and fortitude, but there's more than that too. The stubbornness of dwarves worldwide (coughs) may be slightly overstated, if only because this one is several standard deviations from the norm. You, Dawn, I think like to keep the pick in your hands. Brother, your hands. Do you you want me to, to take a few? I can do better than last time. I'll make sure of it. Your brother, Azura, says, you remember the last time he fucking swung the axe and won what it did. Why do we waste our time with that? Stand back so you don't get hurt again. Don't Azura just sort of already knowing that would be your answer because it's always your answer every, every time. It won't be like last time. It doesn't have to always be like last time. Ara says, shh, Azura, let him work. Fine, let him work. Chiseling through, seeking, finding more. Gotta meet your quota. Your clan is now down to three. Yourself and your two siblings. Closer in age than most dwarven siblings and clans would be. That has made you closer in some ways, but you're also close because your mother and father did pass away. Um, shortly after Ara was born. Details muddy, but I think the story been told is they uh, a lift malfunction, they both plummeted to their death. Why they were on a lift alone doesn't make a lot of sense. But as young as you are now by Dwarven standards, you were very young then. Who are you to doubt what the elders are saying? Okay. Your siblings are quiet as they let you work. As another hour goes by. The calluses on your hands there are plenty of already tearing open just because of the sheer amount of work that you are doing, not taking turns. The tunnel that you're in, you hear the methodical ticking and a chatter of myriad other dwarves as well here. You are amongst the furthest within this particular line here. Your work is interrupted by a bell ringing through the cat 
happens. Not just one, but you hear one bell, but you know that bell is heralded by one above, one above that, one above that, one above that, one above that, going all the way up to the main hollow. As all the bells ring, it travels to the down. You hear the bell. This leads to the three of you. This is this this the sign to pack up. Whatever you got today is what you got. And you look as Dolazer shovels the last bits, shovels it in, and Ara comes with her lantern looks. Maybe. No good. As you watch your sister going through this, um, she's going through them as Dolheiser is already turned the cart around and walking it out, and you have axe, a pickaxe over her shoulder. You walk through this winding mine that, that's here, past various other souls that have packed up, up also and are moving in a slow but steady exodus out. And you are very much reminded of why this lowest of the 13 tiers is the most dangerous. Ultimately, you will reach a more open space where when you look up, you can see the myriad other lampposts set that mark tier 12, 11, 10, all the way up to one, though it's just a small pinprick of light to you from where you are. And the large wooden metal lift that's, that's, that's there. But before you even get to that, again, your mind goes to why the lowest, of the, this 13th tier, the lowest, is the most dangerous. You might think it's because, well, the further down you go, the less scouted it was and the higher chance there being beasts. That's true. Fairly uncommon. The reason, true reason why it's more dangerous is because it is uncharted, which means there's no guarantee of finding it. There's also the chance. There's the possibility that you find something in a massive hall. You find something that's never been found before. Is it worth the risk? For many, it is not. For Dorn, what does he think in his um, introspection? seeing that his wheelbarrow is being I would say one out of every three or four stones that are there Ara leaves in but she does toss out the um, majority of them he will say you two get going I'm gonna stay stay you can't stay who the fuck says I can't we ain't got time and there's digging to do. Well, let's not, let's not only gonna, gonna come uh, once. 
till tomorrow. You're gonna sit down here all fucking night. Ain't gonna be sitting. I'll stay too, brother, Ezra says. Though his eyes have the look of hoping you'll send him away. And leave our poor dear sister all by herself. Well, she's, she's my, my life. Didn't he think for once, Azor? Go, I said. Ross says, I can stay too. Family. A clan. And I'm the head of that clan, and I don't repeat myself. A third fucking time. They look at each other, and he says, Come on. He, he says, Someone needs to bring the ore. And she looks between the two of you as Azer takes and heads and Please come see us off. I promise I won't make you make you come back. She'll grab you by your vest, if you even, which I think you probably took off during the most of this work and just threw it back on, back on, grabs you by, by the corner and pulls you, which is like moving a boulder with a piece of hay, but the question of whether or not you her pull seems stronger than most, but whether or not you go is completely up to you. Well, that, she, was, that was yes, yes, yes. As you traverse through this crack and crag, you can see the opening chasm before you beginning to open up. You see dozens of other dwarven working groups here, over seven or eight different clans. Most clans have, you know, working in trio is a normal thing. Some work working five, some upwards of seven, um, if it's a really good stream and, and, and they, they know it is. But generally spreading out more is a good, and you switch, you go, you know, each, each one takes their position. One will chip, 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 one will, one will look, one will shovel, and then you'll switch off every 15 minutes or at, at, at most. That's what keeps you fresh, right? Not the way for Dorn to do so. Um, as you're walking past one dwarf, an older fellow, long beard thrown over his shoulder, um, Dorn's beard, small, scruffy at this point. 20, 20-some years he may be, but it takes a long time, it takes decades for a dwarf's beard to fully come on, hence why they don't like it being shorn, burned off. He's a little your ancestor cries. Vengeance. <laughs> um, as this old fellow ooh, he throws his beard over his, his back and he throws a sack over his back as, as well and he turns and he gives a big gap tooth smile. Um, this is <coughs> of the Mordecai clan. Um, first name, you don't really remember. Um, most people just have <coughs> clan names here, which can get confusing over time, um, but generally know who you're talking to. Um, this is an old dwarf whose <coughs> clan line has run afoul of fortune. Finding mates is a difficult thing when your clan hasn't been, hasn't won a monthly tide 
um, in a long time and you're generally unappealing and it's one of those things where you see the possibility of a clan line dying up. This dwarf's probably in his 300-some year at this point in time. He's at the point now where he's, like you, trying to find that luck. He'll go, go down by himself while his other clan members are elsewhere doing what they need to do to hopefully win or at least get enough that they're not punished. But he's down, down here, the elder of his clan, hoping he strikes true and finds a vein of sapphire. God, can you imagine? That would be a real change. And I think as Doran sees him smiling that got to smile, he sees a... I think there's a part of the back of his mind that's like, will that be us in three cen- centuries hence? What do you say to him, if anything thing at all? He just turns and gives that gap-tooth smile, his sack looking not so full. You're guessing he didn't strike anything too true this day. Same luck as always, eh? Well, right to say so, but, you know, it's good to have it. Luck of the, luck of the day is only the luck of one day. It's always tomorrow. Always tomorrow. Well, good luck tomorrow, Morty. need it. I need it, is what he says as you three continue continue on. He has one bad, bad ankle. Bad, bad leg overall, but one really bad ankle, and you kind of hear him shuffling his way to, that might be the last to the left, but that's to be expected. Maybe a few other scant conversations here, here and there with others. Um, after you then reach this um, opener expanse, very much uh, you know, Lord of the, the the Rings mines where dwarves are on ropes like scaffold building, and they're chich- they're chiseling at like the sheer bumpy you know walls going up. But mostly, it's just these different tiers that have been carved out, like an, like an, an ant hill. There was one massive chasm going down. And then some outcroppings here and here and, and, and there. And as you go down further, the less outcroppings there are and the more you have to work diligently to even get any sort of semblance through. You might have to work years before you even begin to find anything unless you're really, for, really fortunate and you find some good stuff right, the, the, right then and there. But nobody ever knows where the ore will be. As you come out in this open space, you do indeed see the lift sitting there waiting. Four massive chains. This is of overseer craft here, not dwarven craft. Um, far more elaborate than, than, than that will last far long, far longer than, than you will perhaps. Made of wood, treated wood, treated wood, wood at all, and metal wrought massive chains going all the way up well past your your, your dark vision vision can see which is quite quite good actually down here the flickering pinpricks that tell you what tier is up the chains just ascend upwards might as well be be the the heavens themselves if Dorn knew the word heavens by any means for now your eyes look forward as you Drop off your goods, your wheelbarrow. It is tagged with the with the dole crest, 
by the Whitebeard clan, one member of, of, of the, the Whitebeard clan here. Now, the Whitebeard beard clan, as of course you, you already know, is the clan trusted by all the other clans here in, um, in Ilshgar Septimo, since they were the one clan defaulted to the 13 no matter what. The reasons are lost to time, but frankly, someone needed to be trusted to count fairly. To count the count the the more appraised, you know, the weight of sil silver is not the same as the weight of sapphire. They are the ones trusted with categorizing, weighing, and documenting these these things. Most dwarven clans on here don't have a good handle on writing. Pretty simple, the basic stuff. The whitebeards seem like sages in comparison to them. But again, the Whitebeard clan is trusted by the others to be fair in their counts to the, the overseers. Bribing them is useless since they are, then again, they default to the 13. What are you gonna, that's the highest echelon they can be. What are you gonna, what can you possibly bribe them with? They're already getting the same food as any other of the higher, the other 12 clans. So there's little point. The Whitebeard, clan member and your entire day's work is ratcheted upwards hundreds of feet leaving all of you dwarves down below because naturally the goods have to go first starting at the lowest level until it's full bringing that up dropping down to, to the next level it didn't, didn't get Bring all once all the goods are up, it then begins to ferry the, the the dwarves back, starting at the highest level and making its way to the down. So you are the first to deposit your goods, your wheelbarrow, your sacks, and you are the last to be retrieved. Of course, there are handholds and. Titans placed between each level as a failsafe in case the lift ever broke down. Wouldn't be the first time you've had to take it, but a shift has never all ascended that route without at least a few slipping and falling to break an arm, a leg, a rib, or die. Um, of course, naturally, breaking an arm, an arm, or leg, or a rib is met with punishment, since the assumption is that you purposely injured yourself to get to get out of work, and obviously you can't have that. So the only way to avoid abusing being injured Broken is bones that is lazy bones. <laughs> the only way to avoid this is uh, if you <coughs> are injured to the point where you say you can't you can't work, you get either the poker or the flash. Sometimes both. In other words, taking the dead man's lift. In other words, the Titans and handholds climbing your way up the mass of hundreds of feet up, the dead man's lift it's called, never really worth it if the real lift is functional, even if you have to wait, wait hours. But I think as Dorn looks at that, and he's in the back of his mind, he's like, I could do it. But not today, perhaps, because you said you wanted to keep toiling away. As Ara and uh, as Ara's chatting amicably with some other dwarves there, you see Mordecai is sitting against 
the wall, his legs splayed out, rubbing it. Uh, he did arrive in time to d- deliver his sack. The white, white beard counted it, stamped it with the Mordecai's sim- symbol. You see about a hundred or so dwarves down here that will all just sit, chit-chat, shake some d- d- dice, and wait for the lift to come down, which could be several hours, depending on how good the other halls were and whatnot. None take the dead man's lift. Why would you after after a whole day of work? None go back in to work. More. What does Dorn do? Uh, you have your tool. You don't have your your, your wheelbarrow, but you have your pick pickaxe. Yeah. He uh, would say goodbye to his siblings and. Uh, I'll mark my uh, my line with something. I'll make it noticeable, but I'm going deep, so come looking for me in the morning. Aral looks like she wants to to uh, to argue again, or at least to try to convince you. But Amazur says, "What, brother? Best of luck." He puts a hand on. Shoulder, and she looks up at him and looks at you. Be careful, eh? Always, then. Don't worry. What are you so fucking scared of? It's just digging. I'll ring the bell once by accident when the lift comes back. And just in case you're sick of digging. Kind of looks down. There is a bell there where you're not supposed to, supposed to ring, but probably not like pun- punishable by anything serious just for going bing, ringing, ringing the bell by any means. Do you head back into your crevice? Yes. All right. You head back in, continue chiseling away. Two hours after, you do hear a Ding! The echo hitting your your ears. Give me a give me a perception check with advantage, being that you are a dwarf in the mines. Cool. Twenty. Let's make perception wisdom. Minus one, so 19 total. 19. All right. <laughs> 19. You toil, you hack, you find some lines that you don't have any light with, with you, so the best you can do is look and feel and taste, scratch with, with your nail coming down to a nub. Sometimes you even bite because you know the exact texture and give of stone versus metal or silver would be great, gold would be fantastic. Gemstones would crack your teeth, perhaps. You might find another handful of worthwhile, maybe, when you hear about it. If you book it, you can get back in, t- in, in time for the lift. Or, 
you can stay down here and keep picking away. Ain't getting anywhere riding the lift up and going home. Okay. You continue working yourself in many ways to the bone. Eventually, I think your head would hit and you would slump and you would sleep asleep. I also think you would wake up hearing the sounds of the lift descending again, hearing people coming, coming off it, hearing the wheels squeaking on barrows, hearing the chatter of, of dwarves still hundreds of feet from you. <coughs> Stand, get right back to it, if you choose. Yeah. To the others, they might, yeah. So I mean, when, as far as I know, they don't do anything else, right? So When others come by, they look and and they like hush as they walk past you and see, I guess you're probably not past you. You're like at the yeah, end. Yeah, the like, there yeah, should yeah, be no they, one else around yeah, yeah, who's no, like, no, no, no. going to work, bye door. <laughs> yeah, they, they mm-hmm. would hear and they'd come up and look and hush, hush. And I think you like are aware that there's some that come till they can see you. And then, like, retreat back, sort of thing, to go like to their usual spots. Because you know, you you go, you go, you go, you go in, and then you start going this way, right? So you come down, you go in, and then you break off this this way. So you're at the very, very end of a tunnel here, forging this direction. Whereas, whereas most now are here forging this this way or this way through it, like ping, 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 like doors and hallways, sort of thing. By the time your brother and sister come to you, you've already been picking away for another 15 minutes at this point in time. To them, it probably looks like an impossible thing. You've literally not stopped all night. And in fact, Aras says as much. He goes, Don't! Did you even fucking take a rest? I fucking slept. Thank, thank the overseers. For what? Huh? <sighs> Nothing. Scoop up the shit I've been digging. Quit fucking talking and do something. Did you bring me something to eat at least? Yeah, of course. Good answer. She has like a handkerchief, you know, used to, <laughs> to, 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 to blot the head and she falls <coughs> out and there's like one large what would have been a glowing mushroom, but is now just like, I mean, it has a little bit of a glow, but the sort, the sort of glow is like glow in the, the dark things where you really need, need to like, like get close and look, mm-hmm. even in a place where there is like the light from her lantern is enough to kind of keep keep the, 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 the glow dim, but the same sort of mushrooms that always, you know? And it's a big raw shroom. It's probably about the same as what they each had the night before. Not a not not a slight. In fact, it's probably the the biggest of the of, of the of the ones that they were allowed to have. Take it, eat, and get back to work. Get back to work. All right. Days go on in this sense because why wouldn't they? This is this is this is every day for every dwarf for every clan. Eventually, as the days go as the days go on, even 
Dorn cannot stay down down here forever and ever and then and ever. The amount of water that you're that is allotted down here to be to be shared is carted up every night's sort of, of thing. So eventually, a time comes where you're kind of debating like I have to find something, something new, something fresh. And I think Ara would tell you. Tonight's, today's the day. It's the first of the month. We should probably come up for that, right? As you know, that's when the um, the the overseers come to get their goods. Skip forward several hours here. Another day is work. Not found anything. Extreme, extraordinary, just more of the same bits and baubles here and there. You already know you're not not going, going to win this month. We haven't won any month for the last many cycles. Simply is the way of it. Only 13 can, can win out of several hundred clans, after all. Back up top hours later, a different bell rings here. A deeper one, a larger one. This, not a ding, 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 ding. This a boom, boom. As this bell rings, it rings with only one purpose only. It is your alert that the overseers are coming. Already, Azur says, in your home, your hovel, built in some wood allowed to you to make a semblance of a wall and a door. The door does not, not have a hinge, it's just a door that you pop out, move to the, the move to the side and try and tra- traverse on what work. A hovel no bigger than just the upstairs kitchen dining room area here. Pretty fancy. Hmm, that is, right? <laughs> um, big enough for a whole, for a clan, uh, you three, it is, it is actually a bit bigger than it needs to be for just three, but it's also weirdly it seems hollow it seems empty to you probably not so much to um Ara who doesn't remember a time when there was others and that already Azur asks but Ara has already jumped up from the work bench I imagine uh you're already tying on your finest the best perhaps uh though that doesn't mean mean much, much really. My best. Yes, your <laughs> best. You're one of two. Um, as the as the three of you join the throngs of of others through the the hallways, the caverns, and whatnot, to the primus cavus, which you all call the big hollow. The white beard clan has lived here forever, and the protectors as. Well, those who have been uh, been elevated from clan duties of digging to watching the tunnel through which no dwarf could ever tread, a much larger tunnel than most here. One that is lit with sconces throughout eternal lights, flames that never die. A tunnel that is strictly, utterly forbidden for dwarves to pass through.
for that was for the overseers and the overseers only, and here they come. As always, when the black bell rung. Many dwarves did not attend this in the primus cavus, but many did also. It was a rare moment to see for what and whom they toiled. Their own unseen gods, for lack of a better word, though that word doesn't really exist in this time and place. Some still bowed in worship. Some washed with um, interest. If nothing else, it was something to break up the monotony of the days, the weeks, the months. How does Dorn wait as the bell rings? He looks down. You're hundreds of yards away from it. You see this yawning tunnel. You can't see the end of it. It curves. You can't see the end. You're forbidden. All doors are forbidden from going within. You see sconces every 30 or so feet that are always lit forever, producing no smoke. The overseers are coming. He would be super curious about where they're coming from and want to see as much of that as possible. Sure, sure. I don't know. I don't think Dorn... Do you think Dorn's a naturally curious guy? I think this might be like seeing him go... Like, I think he would find, from based on what you said, he'd find, like, the furthest angle left he could to, like, see, like, around the corner, right? Like, kind mm-hmm. of those things, like, if only I could get a little bit closer, I could see it was just around the corner, right? An eternal bend you can never quite cross. A threat threshold that you simply can not. More sort of point that if people are watching the overseers come in, he's more interested in where they came from. Ah, I see, I see. Well, indeed, most are watching the overseers as they step through. Multiple giants, of course. First, the slapping feet of bulbous laborers coming through. Leather and bone across them. Backpacks pulling sleds of wood, bone, metal. Then the cold that breezes outwards from the armored blueskins. Taller white beards, helms with horns curling upwards. Then the heat of the firebacks in their black charred armor. Then, of course, the head overseer himself. A bald gray head, save for an arc of flaming red around here. The most exquisite armor and a sword on his back that could cleave six dwarves in one swing. You watch as he, you more listen, again, your eyes are on that bend, like, I could probably make it. There's only <laughs> 12 of them. But I got these two. Yep. <laughs> as you see them speak to Amatu, the elder of the white, the um, elder and the elders of the white beard clan, who give battalions and total totals, the hill giants start gathering the goods in their huge wagons and, and, and sleds that they pull the frost look on for any dis- dissent with bored expressions, though. Why would there be any dissent here? And those of flame stood with spiked shields, ready to defend the, the head overseer himself of flame, though, of course, defend from what was a laughable notion. Midway down the sheet, the head overseer does stop. Furrows a red, a red eyebrow, clarifies with the white beards who nod and bow in forgiveness. 
the overseer asks, with the white beard translating to the overseer, you don't understand the giant tongue. The, the, the overseer, or the um, white beard, turns and says, Fasong clan, step forward. None reply. All are still. The overseer, Fasong, Akesh. Whitebeard says, Bring the fossil here. Some try to flee. Others catch the hand on. Some cry out. Others stoically look on. Look on. The white beard says, I ask the strongest of you men of dwarven kind, gather the fossil songs from their home on the level on tier three. I think. None move. He goes. For each fasong brought here, you will earn two days' ration. Maybe we ask why, Whitebeard. All eyes turn toward you. Some have already, at the promise of two days' ration, two days rations. They've gotten up and zoom, zooming down. There's a flurry of activity, but I think even the activity was slowed and hampered by looking at you speaking out in this time. Who said that? Whitebeard says. Step forward. I will step forward. Unafraid. 500 sets of feet step back. What line are you from, boy? What clan? Clan Dole. Clan Dole. Aye. And do you think you've earned the right to, to speak to me in front of the, the overseers in such a way? It is a simple question. The Fasong clan is... Drastically behind quota. And not worse than that, in fact. They have intentionally delivered impure, worthless materials. They have wasted our time and our own resources and our own labor weighing. You know this is why Arras so pick, 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 so picky. This punishment for trying to pass off stone for something more than wasting our time, right? You're wasting our time. Add to their debt, kind of stuff. Okay. (coughs) Um, I will say, as you step forward, um, Azur like is watching you, and he caught the corner corner of your eye. As always, his like expression is just fear, fearful. Aras like, no, darn, but you've already stepped forward, forward mm-hmm. knowing that, that you would. The Whitebeard says this loud enough that all can hear. Everybody knows that's a bad thing to, to do. The Overseer, this massive figure, five, six times your height easily, far more than that, your weight, clad in black armor, looks down at you like you are an insignificant speck. And he reaches a hand up. And he just brushes his red beard. 
Is that satisfying enough to you, son of Dole? The Whitebeard says. If I'm blessed with a few more questions, I guess I'd wonder how long you knew the clan was struggling. You see the elder, or you see one of the other Whitebeards, a younger one, blessed to be, be born into the um, clan. She she's look, looks at you and she just does that. Imperceptible to most because they're beside her. Giant. The white beard turns and speaks in his tongue back. He does this. Points to your name on, on the thing. And the, the overseer looms over you and says, in your own tongue, which you've never heard. I mean, this is a fire jet. It's not a cloud or storm. Mm-hmm. says, You do good work enough to live through this. Keep mouth shut. Keep digging. Or do you wish to take our own punishment? Maybe it's because I'm tired for work from working so hard for you, overseers. Just seems silly to expect product from cattle you don't care for. Now, <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm about to do something that we wouldn't usually do in normal DMDDD, um, because. That's why we have character sheets like that. But no, right now you're not a level twenty-four totally. epic barbarian. You are a level non-nothing, right? Yeah. You're very strong. You probably still already have a strength of like eighteen at this point in time. Let's just summarize by saying that the 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 overseer. You hear a Ra's voice. No, and you hear her shortly after say say Zero, get off me. And then a tuss tussling there as others move. And what do you do as two frost giants come flanking around you? They don't pull their 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 their, their axes. They don't pull their hammers. Um, they're not going to kill you for this. You clearly, even though you don't do, you haven't found anything great. You work your ass off. So therefore, you have enough that you're not in the bottom. There's a slight part of Doldorn that's almost sad that they're not going to. Because I feel like this life of constantly digging, not finding things. Good little dog is grinding him in a way that, like, he's either had enough of it or it's going to end him. So that's... But he'll... He's not going to resist is where that comes from, essentially. Like, maybe maybe that was enough that they will just stop and make it quick. Unfortunately, they do not. He didn't think he was that lucky. (laughs) The two frost giants kick you, push you to the ground, and kick you with their giant boots and stomp on you until multiple bones break. 
one wrist, one leg, several ribs on, on, on one side. Then they string you up by chain. So your arms are above your head, the arms that was just bro broken include, included on a wall for all to see higher than any dwarf can easily reach as they just hammer in this large black spike in there and hang you from that. The agony in your arm is unbelievable. And your ribs, as they pull you like that, your ribs are just, the pain is excruciating. And then they take um, an, an anvil. Because after all, even the dwarves need to be able to craft their own, and fix their own tools. They have blacksmiths here and vents that lead to outside. And they tie it to your ankles. And the overseer says to the white beard something, the white beard nods his head, and to you he looks with fire in his eyes, and he just goes. You don't understand his tongue, but you get a sense. Three days. They take their hall, they leave. Um, after this, but I will say that this, the Fa Sung that were brought up, the overseer doesn't care enough to deal with them. This, 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 this was already obnoxious enough of a thing. He's already proven his point. He does, however, point as, um, as like 12 Fa, Fa Sung are brought, brought up and pushed to their knees by your own brethren, their neighbors and people, especially their neighbors, those that knew where they lived the first to like run and dash to them as they knew they probably were doing bad stuff and were hiding and whatnot. Um, many of them are not near obscurity and, and hidden stuff. As those are brought forth, the white beard will translate and essentially say, for your transgressions, this one has taken the punishment that all of you would otherwise have been meted out. And there's a collective sigh and look to you in like thankfulness, you know? And then he says, However, because of that, one of you will pay the ultimate price. And he points to the youngest member. And whereas the others are not beaten and strung up on the walls, but probably would have survived, the youngest boy, maybe only 12, 13, very young for the war, is pulled for word and um, I don't need to be graphic here um, you got swollen eye you're watching this like has an ice or a frost giant pulls out his axe here holds him under his boot and just it's almost sad how easy and quick it is not a big overhand just a Now that is an ultimate price. That's a brutal thing. In some ways, many of the eleven that also were caught 
that's a very sad thing and they do cry out and do their best to not like attacking that sort of stuff but it also means that they get get out of three days of being broken and hung and what all of that such is the brutality of this place as her corpse or his corpse is taken away you are hanging in and bamboo feet chains above the giants depart uh, more giants come, come come in, and the 13 clans are rewarded with dry ven- venison, one entire carcass of some enormous furred beast. Um, the feast that follows every harvest is quiet in comparison to others, because here in the Primus Cavus <coughs> is where the grand feast would, would be held. I mean, it's where that giant tunnel is, it's where um, most, most airflow can, can take place, it makes sense. You are a looming reminder that while they're celebrating, you're there. In a place where they can't easily reach toward. And they are forbidden from interacting with with you at all. You get to watch as... um, you know, the Feast of Fowls, every harvest is tradition. Um, dwarves never stray from that. More, more come out. There's mushroom stews, steamed tubers, l- l- like nails, salted rocks. They all flow more easily than usual. Uh, the one massive carcass is carefully cooked near the sacred, ta- sacred tunnel. The meats and, and organs are shared. The hide and bone and sinew and more all went to those that crafted the clothing, tools, medicine, and whatnot for all the, um, the, all the clans. The giants bring enough food that all the clans can survive. The 13 are the ones that get their special. You get an entire, an entire elk, for example, for, your, for your, your clan. Like, whoa, what a fucking... But I'm, I'm taking this in the fucking head. No, mm-hmm. and exactly. What of the the the, the, the the dried the dried venison and salted awarded to the thirteen? Well, naturally, they took their bounty and fled home to feast not only this night but for many many more. Their home stews would be more than just rock and moss. Their feet covered in freshly treated hide. Their wounds stitched by enough gut it would actually prevent spore sickness. Winning was everything. Yeah. <laughs> now that's not all of um, Dorne's origins, but obviously that's not all of your origins, not all of your origins. So we're going to go from that, mm-hmm. and we're going to move to a different scene mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Good time for bathroom break if anybody needs a quick diddle. All right, for now. All right. Coffee doesn't hit me yet. <laughs> Let's play this. That's a little bit too dope. You find yourself walking through these massive tunnels of Sharn. These hallways, not tunnels, sorry. <laughs> hallways of Sharn, meant for giant kind. Windows meant for them. everything just seems grand here. Not your first time in a giant made city by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever at all. And as you're turning one massive corner here, heading toward uh, where you knew was to where to go, 
you see a figure walking toward you. Clad in familiar garb, you see a familiar smile and you find yourself smiling as well for it's nice to see a friend in a place like this and your mind drifts back to the first time you met him your feet are bare they are dirty they're calloused in the way that many ones would be here but the the streets the pathways are dirt and mud to a point, you know, the wheel has been invented. Therefore, you know, you're going to keep your streets fairly, uh, you know, well-maintained so things can, things can get through. Beasts of burden and whatnot, you see them hauling hay, hauling corn, hauling all sorts of, of, of grain from the fields. The sun is up and high. The birds are tweeting. In a time and a place where your village is everything you know. You look and you see the mountain the mountain range miles away, large, looming, the clouds coming, coming over it slowly. Beautiful mountains. And between your, your village are predominantly humans, vast majority humans, some halflings, you know, some dwarf sports perhaps. Um, between your village and this vast, beautiful mountain mountain range, you see a what to you would be like a massive city. But for us at the table, above table, we would know would be a fairly um, um, common giant like con- conclave. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple hundred giants there. Not the you know giant population population over the entire world is still in the tens of thousands, right? They never exploded like humans did to the millions or such, right? Mm-hmm. But e- even so, you know, this <coughs> to you, it's a, it's, it's, it's a city, but it's a place of giant make that has a few hundred giants within. But the good thing is, for you, they keep leave you guys alone, for the most part. When they do come on their massive feet and hauling what they re- require you load up with all the grain, the corn, the all, all the livestock that you can. You meet what you need to meet, and they cart it off. Very rarely do your giants' um, masters need to meet up any sort of punishment. Um, you're just here to make sure that they are fed and stay out of their way. And because of that, they're fairly happy to stay out of your way as well. I think Aladra, a young girl of nine here, um, you know, sees carts going by, hay, straw, wheat, corn, all that stuff I was just saying, gourds, going to market, and I say the word market with the understanding that there is no concept of gold in this time. At least not for not for humans, not for dwarves, not for the small f- folk. Everything is based on trade. Everything is based on based on. Well, I make shoes for you, for your for your feet. Um, you harvest gourds. We're hungry. You need new shoes. Trade. Just the way that things go. 
So as you're, you know, meandering through the market, seeing all these stalls up that are always there, crime is a thing that is a weird con concept. Like, why would you have that per, per se? Um, you're all under the same thumb, in a sense, but as long as you are good, there's nothing to worry about. There's an entire orchard of apples and pears just outside the city as well, and you see a wagon of apples <laughs> moving by. I mean, in theory, you could very easily. I mean, you do, you were told to come and trade a pair of leather sandals for a bushel of apples. That was true, your mother made them, and that was what you're told to do, but you know how many apples are in a bushel. I mean, would one more make a difference? Uh, what is a lot to do? Would stealthily reach out and take an apple? Sure. After looking around, making sure she's not being watched. Sure. She reaches out, plucks one that she's confident won't send a cascade falling. It does make a ca cascade fall. <laughs> Some people people turn and go, oh, oh, oh. And the, the, the guy hauling it goes, hey, oh, please. I will act like, oh, they started falling, sir. Let <laughs> me help you put them back. Oh, thank you, dearie. Thank you, thank, thank you, thank you. Say, those are some nice sandals across across your shoulders there, huh? And he's putting them back on the wagon. Yeah, Ma sent me to trade them for um, bushel of apples. Well, he looks at his just tarred to, you know, or, or scarred to fuck, fraying. One of them just flap, flap, flapping. He goes, huh. I might like, like to do just such a trade, lass. Man, make sure they fit. <sighs> Oh, already feel lovely, lovely. Your ma does know how to put that um hay bit scratchy be between them toes, but soft. Keeps the lice away. Keeps the lice away. Who has lice between their between their toes? And he pinches your cheek, and he loads up a bushel of apples, which is a nice twelve, and he grabs one that has dirt on it from the ground. Grabs it. Well, I can't rightly trade for the trade 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 for this, can I? He ties it, hands you the bushel, and hands you, you the, that one after cleaning it off a bit. Thank you. Be, be good now, lass. Do my best. <laughs> As you head your way along. Now, here's the, the thing. Even at the age of nine, you have some unique talents. You're usually a bit stealthier than that. You usually have a bit better sleight of a sleight of hand, but your real strength has never been in how stealthy your sleight of hand are. It's always been how you can get out of um, anything. Whether it be your mother or father or any here. Partially, is that because people are dumb? <laughs> or just because they don't think the way that you do? Even now, as you kind of walk down the down the um, pathway, you see the mountain range looming in the distance. You've never been to the mountains before. No way. You've never been as far as the mountains, but what do you think Eladra thinks as she looks at the peaks of those mountains, snow-capped as they are in the sky stretching? They must stretch beyond them. What does she think? I wonder what it's like up there. Or even further? 
You remember the times you've talked to your ma and ma and pa? Yeah, but what's past the mountains? And they look at you like, past the mountains? Yeah, after them. More fields, I reckon. With more people? Why does she always talk, talk about such things? Who wants more people? More people? More? <laughs> it just sounds like more mouths to feed to me. But if they have more fields, can't they feed more mouths? Enough, Aladri, enough. Just get the apples, you know. Just a recent conversation you had as you crunch along here. I think the other talent that you have, even at this young of age, is you never forget a face. You're remarkably good at memorizing things. You, this village probably has, not that you can, can count this high, but probably has 10,000 or so humans here, you know, small folk here. You can't name all of them, but you definitely know almost all their faces. When a baby is born, people tend to make a make a make a big big deal out of it. And when they're born, it's usually a death that comes shortly after. You know, balance has to be maintained. That's the one thing thing that the giants are pretty strict on, right? Is if you have too many people, then they'll need need more food. That's less food for them. And you're fine the way that you are. So you know, you got to be be careful with how many kids you have. You don't entirely know where kids, where babies come from, but you definitely know it's when a man and a white woman go in a hut. Um, anyways, so you know, yeah, you know all of the faces in this village, which is why, as you're munching, kind of looking at those mountain peaks, which is why, as you um, look down, you see a fig figure walking toward you. Not directly by any means, just, you know, as there's people walking this way, you're amongst a throng walking this way, you see the face of a human that you don't recognize. And I think for a moment, your, like, teeth bite into the apple, and you kind of do this thing as you pass by. He doesn't seem to give you any notice whatsoever, but it's a very weird moment. Something that most people would not have noticed whatsoever, you just have this, this moment of, like, Full-grown adult, man, I don't recognize here. It's a novel thing in a place where novel things are a novelty. I will about face and follow from a distance. Okay, you about face, join the at the other stream, and follow at a distance. He just turns casually down one path pathway, you follow at a distance. He turns another way, you follow at a dis distance. You see his, his cloak turn a corner, you go turn the corner corner also at a distance of 20, 20, 30 feet. You don't see him. You feel a tap on your shoulder. Is there a reason you're following me? Is there a reason you're in town? In our town? Have you been in our town? Are you trying to face him? Yeah. Okay. He smiles at you, kind of cocks his, his head. He's got a black beard, like a, like a goatee of sorts, facial hair here, the black hair coming to down one side, a cloak. Um, something to keep like the weather off, though it's a beautiful day. Who would be wearing their, their cloak at a time like, like, like this, right? 
caked in mud. You see he's wearing boots, very, very fine boots, in fact. Um, Well-worn thing. There's a word that I would use norm normally, but would not make sense to Aladra at this time. As he says, why are you so curious? I know everyone in this town. Really? Everyone? Well, I don't know everyone, as Maul likes to tell me, but I know their faces. I don't know your face, and it would be real weird if you grew up so fast. So, I followed you. Puts a finger on your chin and lifts it up. We look into his eyes. Also, I know those ain't my mom's boots. Your mom makes boots, is that right? And sandals. Removes his finger from your chin. From your, your chin. Don't worry so much. I'm just a traveler. Passing through. Traveler. Yes, one who travels. Oh, I suppose that's an anonymity to you. Like, from the fields out there to the center in here? Where have you been passed? There's many fields everywhere. Beyond the mountains? You're very curious, aren't you? Yeah, but I still got the apples. Did my job. Why did you follow me from the trade stalls? Just because I was something new? Well, yeah. You don't... You're not from here. That's why you're a traveler. From out there? What's it like? What is it like, indeed? Hmm. So you know every face in this village, right? Mm -hmm. You know the feeling of every person you meet? Like they have a unique aspect to them? Boys! As long as I talk to them for at least a little bit, I can pretty much pick it up, I suppose. He kneels down and looks at you. He says, do you like your life here? In this knowing that your people are under the heel across this entire plane of existence? We're not under a heel. Under a heel, I mean, life ain't bad. We make our food, we make our quota. And yeah, it sucks for me because I'm not good at farming or selling. What are you good at? Singing. Singing? And convincing people to do what I want. <laughs> and convincing people, he laughs. A genuine laugh, short as it is. Puts a hand on your head. Ruffles your, your hair a bit. You don't feel dumb like the rest of them. His eyes 
And there he gets a bit of a frown and he says, now what exactly do you mean by that? The rest of them here, they don't care what's out there. And you do? It'd be nice to see. I thought you said life was fine here. Life can be fine. That doesn't mean you don't want to go. Right? Singing and convincing people, huh? Yeah. Close your eyes. Keep them closed. In your mind, you suddenly see what he's seen. You see entirely different fields, entirely different villages, entirely different mountains even. There's more than just those mountains. You've seen giants, you've seen people like, when he removes his finger from your forehead and your eyes snap open and you're like, hearts pounding. Not that he condensed a bunch of knowledge, just, 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 it was, it was a clip show of things he's seen, like a quick reel of hundred different places you could have never imagined before. That's what's out there. They grow corn too? <laughs> Amongst many, many other things as well, yes. You've been to all those places? I still think I have many more to go to. Will you take me? No. I'll give you a bushel of apples. How about just one? You see him kind of twitch his lip a little bit at that. If you don't like that one, I can give you a different one. It's good. Sweet. I've had better, but I've had worse too. That's life. Tucks that into here, says, I cannot bring you with me, but I do plan on staying here for a time, and I am sure I'll leave, and I'm sure I'll come <coughs> back. Can you keep a secret? A secret's a thing that you only tell one other person. The person who told you the secret. So it's not like you tell me and then I tell one person and then they no. tell? You don't tell anyone. That's the best way to think about a secret. You can, you can tell me if you want, but I already know the secret. I think I can do that. Well, an apple is a very fair gift. I think I should, should give you something else. Well, he holds out his hand and in between you see little motes like mercury bubbles that are till it makes a globule about yay big of what we would know as mercury quicksilver. Mm -hmm. Little amorbiding balls around, like little, little tiny specks around it. He makes a dag dagger. 
He makes a house. He makes a tower like that within the um, giant city over there. Remarkably, even the windows are in there. Look close, as you look within, you even see little people, like little giants. Like they're supposed to be big, but they're small, they're inside thing. You look, you look past, like, whoa. He makes a mountain, a mountain range. Hold out your hands. I need you to focus on this, okay? Okay. Have you ever focused on something before? Focused on you. That's why I think you can do this. Because guess what? We're not done with the rest of them either. Don't let it touch your hands. Okay? Okay. He releases it. Your focus on it is enough that you keeps it buoyant. I need you to continue focusing on this while I sit here. I'll make sure you're safe. But keep your eyes on it. Keep attuning to it. An hour goes by. You can you can breathe. In fact, you should breathe. Ah, <laughs> hold on. It's okay. Focus. Focus can be a different thing, you know? It's one thing to do your job every day, toiling the fields, making sandals, getting apples. Keep your eyes on it. Keep focusing it up. There you go. Need to be able to maintain your focus even during conversation. Learning how to focus what gifts you have in here. is crucial. The biggest problem with with your kind with with us is that you have all this potential in your heads and you squander it. Yet you continue to scream and scream and scream. At least you applaud yourself. You could be worth something. Does that make sense? Maybe. But I don't know if everyone has potential. Oh, I know most do not. Very, very few do. I don't like pain. Do you? No. Yes. We can agree pain is a bad thing. It's something that gives you pain, you would try to be rid of it, right? Yeah. That's why I stabbed a neighbor boy. Lightly. Now, uh, focus. Now you tell me a story. You don't have to do it right now. Um, the words that you are saying, you find your focus is fine. When you begin to tell a story, your focus actually enhances, if anything. You embellish a bit here and there, whether or not he knows. Like, why would he know? Um, after after an hour goes by, you feel yourself attuned to this to this thing, a word that he used, and he begins to tell you, "Okay, now I want you to make the shape of mountains." And you're terrible at it. It's like rudimentary, like four like, potatoes. Like, yeah, <laughs> no mountains, potatoes. 
Um, no. And he sharp potatoes. He, he 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 laughs, and ultimately he teaches you. He says, "Keep your focus on this. Start simple." You mentioned stab, stabbing, boy. Make a dagger. Start with a simple spike first. Can you do that? Short and pointy on one end, larger on, on the, uh, the other end. Make it solid so you can hold it. Give it a try. I will think of like nails, spikes I've seen hammered yeah. into large things and try to create that. Good, good. Now make it solid and grab it. And she will imagine how solid those spikes do feel when she pulls them out of things that she probably shouldn't, but she does. Mm -hmm. And will try to grab it. Look at that. You have imagination. And look what you can do when you put that mind of yours to something. I want to see this be even better tomorrow. You'll be back tomorrow? I'm not I'm not going to leave for a while. I'm <laughs> sure we'll cross paths again, now that you know my face and I know yours as well. But this is our secret, right? Let's also have me be a secret. Don't, don't tell your family and friends about me. They'll, they'll think it's odd and they're boring. They're the dumbest, right? He laughs as he helps he helps you up, and uh, he'll part. I think you you part as well. You see him the next couple of days, so on and so forth, as you meet him, continuously working on your quicksilver spike. Don't do that. Here, a magical knife. <laughs> but don't murder people. <laughs> yep. Stephen. Yes. As you, as Shere Khan is recalling this time when the dragons came and raised that village, he thinks to how it wasn't that long after that in the grand scheme of things that he did eventually meet somebody that would change his life forever. Change the life not only him, but also his siblings. He remembers a time when new humans came. One with a white beard and Rotha, also, also armor across the robe, stepped from nothingness itself, invisible as it might seem. Tricks that you're familiar with as well, but you've never seen a human do before. You and your people are in the, are, are in the forest, several, many humans from that previously destroyed village as, as well. And you've taken to, to hiding amongst the densest, darkest forest that you can. Wary of these metallic, Dragons and knowing that there are giants that roam these places as well. Hard to keep so many people secret and safe. And you do run a, run a foul of them occasionally. 
but you elves have lodged and turning to elves over the years uh, were tremendously powerful bringing the essence of the fae across you find that power wanes over time but grows in new ways new skills become easier to practically handle even though the material plane is a place where possibility becomes becomes solid you find that it's almost easier for you to learn and adjust things. You are free from what your nature, what it was before. But as you find yourself along the coast one day, sitting upon a slick rock, the salt of the water fresh on, on your lips as you are wet from <laughs> splashing up, you like the, the waves, the way that they move and shift. You like when the moon moves across the sky. You love it when the cloud cover is not there. The moon is a sickle and the stars are more aligned. And you see patterns in them that you don't think others probably see. And you wonder what other, how could you use those stars? What courses could, could you chart as you look out over the ocean? Mm. There's a hubbub behind you. As you stand, turn, run, and you see this elderly human stepping forth. A number of your of your Amelvin kind pointing weapons and, and spears at them. Your forest almost butting right up against this rocky coastline, several hundred yards away. For you, easy into a raven, fly, or a hawk perhaps, fly over, turn back and just or watch from a, a tree. And you see as a human introduces himself as Orion. Mm-hmm. Introduces himself to the elders. Alfangas, Rubinil, Shamtal, Aximili, Eskaruth, Istil, Halloran, Samitar, Koras. You, of course, learn how to speak the human tongue. They're common these days. They didn't even have a, have a, have a word for their language. You recommended using the word common. Not I mean perhaps you, but your siblings. Well, let's, let's have a common tongue. Common tongue, using their word for common, became the common thing to say. Mm-hmm. You see as this figure imposing as he is, and a, even larger human, burly, mus- muscles all across, rippling across his flesh, comes, burns and scars, calloused hands there. But comparatively Demure, though he's bigger and broader, demure compared to the the older human stepping forth, speaking. An, an argument seems to break, break break out. Information spread, but not coming to an accord. Your sister Roy steps forward and says, "I will help." I will join your cause. Balinor steps forward as, as well. As will I, of course. And they turn to look at you. Jackon just will walk up behind them, not saying a word, but a hand on each shoulder, basically. And Amorion says, Amorion says, I'm looking only for like-minded individuals with tremendous might might of the mind the body 
and importantly the soul. For what we have to do will take many, many years and will suffer many casualties. I have seen the magics that you have left in your wake. I have followed the scent of your kind to here, hidden well as you are. For indeed, the elders, not you and your siblings, but the elders have used those shards of the Feywild that they brought back to create a sort of veil, a dominion around, a place that was bountiful but hidden, obscured mm -hmm. from outside, even, even from the likes of giants and dragons. And Orion says, looking at you three, mostly Amar, Amar, but his bushy brows do look at you and Valinor as well. Are you mighty enough to do what need be done? Even if it leads to many deaths in your wake, for the hope that your bounty, the bounty that you wished to bring the humans of this realm can indeed one day spread across the entire plane material. Why just... Yes. If you have a plan, we are eager to hear it. Valenor says, about time. Something needs to happen. And he looks at you, and you meet Orion's eyes, and you see within them darkness and specks that remind you so much of the night sky Above. But it's just gone. It's not like a. It's mm -hmm. just. It's just for a moment. It like reminded you of that, and then gone. You see his his blue eyes staring intently back at you. We left our home to help. We're not here to sit around. Thus begins R.Y. Valinor and Shere Khan's introduction, introduction as such into what would later on become the Sovereign Host. As your other elven brethren are neither 100% yay or nay, but apparently whatever Orion and the, the um elders were speaking of, the elders were not as keen to it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they are very cautious now after the amount of elven lives that were lost, that first ma massive battle. Mm -hmm. They're very, very anxious about losing any more because there's only so many souls to go around. And while you elves have been here long, many enough years now that you've begun to mate with each other, you've also found passion with the humans and found that you're very compatible, happy. Children can be born, both of elven mothers and human mothers. <coughs> Maybe you are more similar. Maybe you were right all along. But the elders have this anxiety that the more that you spread, the more that the number of Eladrin elves spread, the more dilute their souls become. And that can only reach a certain point before it has to be cut, cut off. And they can only control so much from here and now. But as you said, you came here to help. And you three seem willing to 
lead a number of the elves in a different path. Some continue following the likes of what later on might become the, 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 the Undying Court, but for now are just the elders of your kind. Others follow you, because they did come here for a reason. The elders seem to have become feared of that very reason. There's no going back. There's only going, f going forward. The elders fear extinction. You fear failure. A difference in, in ideology. Dol Dorn. Just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Just because I can't hear. Two decades, approximately, more or less, hard to tell exact time, meander past. Ting, ting, ting. You are still at it. Ezra asks quietly, should I, test, should I take a swing for a bit? Eh, sure. Give it a try. Hand it off as I take whatever we have to drink and swig and wipe. He happily takes it. <laughs> and he goes hard and he swings with a smile on his face. He is huffing. I'm wrong. He's strong. He has a dull clamp roll. But he is huffing and puffing and taking minute-long breaks in between each swing after about a half hour of this. About four hours into your shift of a lot of mint. It's because he got shape form. Take a break. He just lets the hit the side and you grab it and can get back to work. I think over these years and the things that we've seen already via these origin flashbacks, Dorn's strength was never his actual strength. It's always been his conviction, his magnetism, the fact that he, when he put his mind to something, I'm going to swing this pickaxe until I say I'm done, is a remarkable thing that most people are simply not capable of. It helps that he's strength and has a massive fortitude, but... His force will is a strong thing, and with that comes a certain degree of force personality. None of the dwarves looked at him or spoke to him. They looked at him, but none spoke to him or fed him those decade plus ago. He hung on that wall. But when they did ultimately take him down after three days had passed, they did tend to, to him. The Fasung clan Though they did lose their youngest, they were thankful to you. They tended to your your wounds. They shared their hall with you as others did as well. Not many, but enough did that until Dorn was fully back on his feet, which did take months of time. For there is no magic back here that heals things. There are splints. And there's the good fungus stew, and that's what I mean. Good fungus get. stew. Most dwarves injured and then hung like that would simply not be able to swing. They would they would become a 
burden to their, their, their at least they wouldn't be able to work in the mines like that Dorm was back at it after three or four months with the same fervor as always in fact I'll go a step further maybe a new fervor or a different fervor those around him feel that, feel that same pull here and there Certain charisma that Doran seems him seems to put off, one might say, uh, not in the way of beauty or truth or deceit, but just the sort that people tend to gravitate around him. But to a point, to a point. Ara has already moved on to purity assessment. Uh, meaning her days were now sorting through the raw materials to weed out chunks that bore no potential so they would not be included in the weighed totals each day. She is forbidden from knowing which buckets belong to your brothers, so she counts as fairly as possible with the hope that the line of Dole would win once, once more. She's not even allowed to be on the same tier as you guys. So it's you and your brother for the most part. You are now on tier 16, three levels further than you would ever imagined only a de decade plus prior. And so far you've found nothing better than what you'd found above. And those other tiers were certainly not depleted of useful or themselves, but something strange has happened. The demands of production have increased over the years. Slowly at first, but about eight, nine to 10 years ago by a lot. These demands of production put upon you all don't matter much to Dorn from a workload standpoint. He's used to working overnights at times. He's used to working hard. Problem is, you can demand increased production. But if there's nothing to find, then what does it get you? Nothing else has changed, but the pressure on all the Dwarven clans just seems higher than ever before. For what rationale? Who knows? The Overseers know and do what they know and do. I think we zoom forward here to the nighttime. Um, one of those times when Azer's, when you've not found a lot today, worse than most, and Azer heads back. And with your permission, I think this is one of those nights where Doran stays. Yeah. As you are down there, night, word like night doesn't mean much. Um, he leaves you with the with the lantern. He heads up. You're just hoping you can find enough to to offset something, anything. Your muscles are burning, screaming. Always the lowest level. Always driving the furthest inward. You hear, in between your rhythmic as they are. 
prying chunks off. You pry a whole bunch off before you set your thing down and look, look them over yourself with, with your lantern, wishing a rod was here. You hear the occasional further back, right? So between the hollows here and you here, somewhere within the tunnel here, you hear more ticking. Somebody else has stayed late, far past the bell. You hear a clang, a clatter. Ting, 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 ting. The squeak of a wheel, or a hinge, oh. The same squeak that your lantern makes when you when you lift it by the rusted iron rung. And it sways. And you hear. Other pathways have been made here, 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 here. You go about halfway through and you see the light flickering within, dim as it is. And you come up behind and you see glinting in the dim bit, because again, you gotta be very conservative with how much, much oil you have. In the dim, smallest flickering, you see a very elderly dwarven form white beard, a gray white beard tossed over his shoulder as usual. You see him on his knees, one janky ankle, never quite healed right, sticking out as he's holding a chunk up to the lantern. <laughs> do you say or do anything? Do I, I know who it is? Like it's M Morty. Morty. Yep. Indeed. What'd you find there, Morty? <laughs> <coughs> Dust. He's old. He's been working his mind a long time. Nothing. What? Nothing. What are you doing here, Dole? Get the fuck out! Get the fuck out! As you see past him, the little light flickering on a vein there that you see that glimmers with the most pure, almost like there's light from within, not just reflected from his paltry lantern there. It must be reflected, but it's, all, it's reflected so purely, it's almost like there's light within this very crack. Faint. something. He looks at you with fearful eyes. His eyes flick over to his pick, pickaxe left on the side there. Yours slung over your shoulder. Lantern in hand. You seem nervous, old friend. I, 
gotta work. Gotta, gotta find something. You know what that's, that's like, lad. <sighs> I do. Well, back to your side, huh? Back to my mind. He turns back to you. You see a little, like, his arms move in a way that's like he's, you know, putting something in his his vest. And uh, goes to reach for his axe, reaching for his picnic axe, reaching for the ground over there. As his fingers reach the haft and pull it toward him. Using it to stand. Still there, boy? Oh, I that's the end. Uh, Dorn will give him a nice pat on the back. Something falls. Oh. And your lantern light. His hand grips tight. Do whatever you want to to, to to do, my my friend. Whatever you want to yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, you can turn and walk away. No, I know. Um... I'm just trying to think of the phrasing I want to use. And I'm struggling with it. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Tildorn's uh, just going to walk with him, take like forcibly move him with him down his side and say, I think we've both done enough digging for tonight. You should take it easy. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Let's take it easy. Don't hurt. Makes sense, you've been working hard. And once he's led him far enough away, if he'll go with him for a while, mm -hmm. then he's gonna kill. <laughs> okay. Any way in particular, or um, no, just essentially far away from whatever it was that he found. Okay. Yeah. Whatever pick may swing, whatever skull may meet stone, whatever neck may be snapped, whatever sounds echo. He's an old man. I figure a, a smothering, almost like as he's walking with him, it just becomes tighter and tighter and tighter. Oh, and that's even better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As he just digging way down in this tunnel over here. Brilliant. As he realizes that your hand is 
implacable, impossible to move. The sounds are not that of picks, of bones, not that of screams, those of muffled murmurs. And then nothing. You leave him in a tunnel, presumably. He just looks as if he died. Old man had the black lung, lung anyways. Oh, it terribly. It was terrible. As you go back to look, you see that vein there. Hold up your brighter lantern to it. And you see what later will be called Mithril. But for now, all Dorn knows is it's something new. I mean, he's, he's seen silver, he's seen copper, he's seen gold, he's even seen platinum. At first you think it's platinum, which would be wonderful. But the way that this reflects light is so pure. When you lick your, your thumb and rub it across it, it's almost like a mirror edge to it, though it's an unpolished, worked thing. Pretty incredible find. So you hope. Do you begin to work at it and dig it, dig it out as this night goes on? Mm-hmm. We will end there then, as Dol Dodorn is the first to find Mithril. At least that's the story that will be. First blood. One of the first to find Mithril, and we'll see what comes of that moment right there. What happened, Anthony? <laughs> oh no! Morty, what? Oh, old guy, poor guy. Poor mm-hmm. dude. Pretty crazy. Alright. <clears throat> okay, bye, Belgium. Bye, Belgium. Unless there's anything else you want to say before it? Alright. No? Keep it going!